We're so glad everybody is in the building from the very last seat to the very front seat. Happy Easter to everybody. Um, Has anybody in the gathering thought about taking one of those DNA tests that they're advertising now? Anybody thinking about that? I'm thinking about it because my ancestors tell me we came from Sicily. That's the football off of the boot of Italy, in case you're not good with geography. And they tell me we've got some Greek going on, and I like both of those things. I like being a Sicilian Greek mobster in my mind, so (laughs) that's working for me. And I really don't want to bust that theory, but I do want to take one of those tests. The way it works, from what I understand, a friend of mine did it. You uh, spit in a test tube, so that's how complicated it is. You FedEx that off to some place, and a few months later, they send you a map of your family's DNA history. So your parents told you, you, you know, we're all from Iowa. You're like, oh, no, we're not. You know, you find out exactly where your family came from. This friend of mine said, I kind of knew I had some, you know, European in me because this was a white guy that, that did it. And I said, yeah, that's probably a safe bet. He said, but it turns out there's North African in my DNA as well. And I was like, hello, that's what I want to be. I want to be bicontinental when this test comes back. Multi-continental, if possible. I want to be able to have a touch point in as many places as possible. But he said this, the crazy thing was the test didn't just tell me where the origins of my heritage are. It told me on a timeline when different parts of my heritage came into my timeline. He said, like in the 1600s, this is where this strand came in. And in the late 1700s, this is where this strand came in. And I thought, what an amazing thing that we can do in technology to be able to look back across the centuries of our DNA history and to see where our families origins emerge. And I want to do that with us today as we think about Easter today. We're not just looking way back through a telescope at an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We're asking the question today, what does what happened on Easter morning have to do with my life sitting here this afternoon at Passion City Church? Did something happen back then that entered into my spiritual DNA map? Is there a place in time where you can look back in history and say, on that day and in that place, when supposedly the son of the living God was raised from the dead, did something happen to me on that day? And if I trace it back, was that not just a day in history, but was it a day in my history? And if it was a day in my history, then what does it mean? That's what I want to do today. I want to bring Easter into the moment. And I want us to see that Easter is extending hope to you right where you are today. There are three primary things I want us to see about Easter today. And the first one is this, Easter is an invitation. Can you just say that with me? We'll take some notes out loud. Easter is an invitation. Corners with me. Easter is an invitation. At the very simplest, Easter is God's invitation to you to come and investigate the work that he has done on your behalf. In fact, in the very first gospel of Matthew, we see the very first account of Easter morning, and it reads this way, beginning in verse 1 in chapter 28. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, this angel, was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So much so that the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now, can you see this scene in your mind? We've got the elite of the elite Roman guard guarding this tomb. The worst thing that can happen is that someone would steal the body, concoct a story, and then some crazy Christian faith would emerge because of this hoax. And so a seal was placed on the tomb by the Roman authorities. An elite guard was placed at the tomb to make sure nothing happened. But lo and behold, God is no respecter of person. And so he just sends an angel from heaven who looks like lightning and his clothes are white as, as snow and his appearance causes an earthquake and he moves away the stone that blocked the way into the grave of Jesus. So much so that the elite Roman guard didn't look on and say, well, I've never seen that before. They were terrified at what they saw and began to shake and tremble and ultimately just passed out like they were dead. This day that we're celebrating is an enormous display of the power of God, so much so that the fiercest of Men and the most elite of guards are now passed out on the ground. And these women who were just coming to anoint the body of Jesus and finish the burial process, their eyes are wide open, their mouths are on the floor, and the angel, in a way of comedy in the gospel, just says to them, don't be afraid. To which I would have replied, well, excuse me, you look like lightning, sir, and the ground is rumbling, and a big giant stone is creaking its way up the incline away from the entrance, and all these dudes are dead. Why shouldn't we be terrified? And then he begins to inform them of the events that have happened here, and he says this to them, don't be afraid. Jesus, who you are looking for, the one who was crucified, he is not here. He is risen just as he said. The first announcement of Easter, the first Easter sermon, short message. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified on Friday, but guess what? He's not here right now. He is risen just as he said. And then look at the invitation that this angel offers to the ladies. He says, come and see the place where he lay. I love that about God, and I love that about God today. God is extending an invitation to every person on planet Earth today, come and see the place where Jesus lay. I just want to applaud today anybody here who says, Louie, you know, I, I've done the church thing. I've, I've got an aunt who's real religious and goes to church a lot. I've, I've, I've been to some things in my life, but I, I just, you know, I'm a thinker. I, I like to process things. I, I like evidence. I like to ask questions. I have a skeptical nature and I, I just not, I don't, it's not gonna come and say, well, welcome to church. Now if you'll all just switch your minds off, we're gonna just jump in 
to the dark and jump off into the deep end of faith and just believe what the song's saying, whatever the preacher says, we're just gonna swallow all that whole. God is saying, no, that is not the way I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me with your mind. I want you to come to me with all of your faculty. I want you to open your heart and your thinking. And it's okay if you're an investigator. It's okay today if you're a skeptic. It's okay today if you've got questions. It's okay today if you wanna turn a few stones over because I'm extending an invitation on Easter. I sent an angel to move the stone so that you could come in and look around and investigate the place where Jesus lay. And God is offering you an invitation today. He's not trying to hide anything or pull anything on you or me. He's just offering an invitation today. And you and I have the chance to take him up on it. You know, the resurrection, it's, it's an either or. It's either the greatest hoax that's ever been perpetrated in humanity because here we all are packed into churches all around the world today because of the gospel, which is that Christ has the power to save. But if Christ isn't alive from the dead, he can't do a thing for you and he can't do a thing for me. This whole Christian faith crumbles if you take the resurrection out of the story. So it's either the greatest hoax that's ever been sold to mankind or it's the greatest single event that's ever happened in human history. And it's important that you know the answer to that question. And so God is offering an invitation today. Easter is an invitation. Come and see where he lay. You're like, Louie, I've never heard that in church before. They're just like, shut up, put your hand down, just believe it, accept it, receive it, just do what we tell you. No, God isn't like that. God gave you a mind for a reason. God gave you the ability to reason for a reason. And he's inviting you to investigate whether the resurrection of Jesus is a hoax or whether it is the most significant blip on the map of your history. And he says, come and see. If you want to know how to come and see and you're like, well, where would I start that process? I mean, I, I'm not an archaeologist and I don't know if I should go digging around in the Holy Land or not. You could start simply by reading a book called The Case for Christ or you could go to a theater in our city and actually see the movie right now. The movie came out in the Easter season. It's a movie, it's a story about a friend of mine named Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel, decades ago, was a very respected journalist. He wrote for the Chicago Tribune, lived in Chicago, very uh, cultured part of the city and of the academic mindset, an atheist with no place in his worldview for a living Jesus. And so much so that he wanted to put it to rest once and for all. And so with all of his investigative journalistic might, he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, thinking this is gonna take a day, maybe a week at most, because come on, I should be able to put bullet holes all in this story. But what you're gonna see in a very well done, very tastefully done uh, movie, you're gonna see the story of Lee Strobel, not only not disproving the resurrection of Jesus, but you're gonna see one more man who set out on that mission coming face to face with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I just wanna invite you to come and see even today. Maybe you came today because you were on the brunch train and the brunch train was making a stop at Passion City Church and you couldn't get off the train in time before you got here. 
and the brunch was great and you tried to get out, said, oh, I think I got to go meet a friend. And like, oh, no, you're getting back in the car. We're going to Passion City Church. And you're like, this is my last few minutes on the train and I made it here. And you may be thinking, I actually do feel pretty good about being in church on Easter. I'm not normally here. And so it does feel kind of nice to be here. I want you to know you're not here by accident today. And you came to a place today where you're not getting pushed off the edge of the cliff. You come to a place today where God is extending an invitation and maybe even in these few moments he's saying to you, lean in, lean in to the story today and see if God will open your mind to understand it and open your eyes to see it. It is true that Jesus was raised from the dead. History stands on the side of that verdict, but what is the truth about Jesus being raised from the dead. That brings us to the second thing about Easter today, and it is this. Easter gives us hope in the Saturdays of our life. You know, on Easter weekend, it's all about Friday and Sunday. There's nothing happening on Saturday. No one has ever invited you to a silent Saturday service before. <laughs> it's all about Good Friday, Christ exchanged a perfect life for the sins of the world. Christ willingly put himself in harm's way. God in human flesh taking on the guilt and the shame of all of our sin. Good Friday. We, we know what Friday is all about. And then Sunday is the eruption of the life of God triumphing over sin and death and hell and the grave. But who's ever invited you to come to a day two gathering? Who's ever invited you to say, hey, we're just going to all get together in that sort of in-between moment and celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But in reality, most of us today are not living fully in Friday and we're not living fully in Sunday. Most of us are living in something that looks like Saturday. It looks like God has gone silent on you. And it looked like that on that day. It looks like God's plan has stalled out but we have the vantage point of history today, and we know that God was not only silent on that day, God was working on that day. And he may seem silent in your circumstance right now, but praise God for Easter, because it's calling you to hope today that God is at work even in the messy middle for your good and for his glory. And I pray today that you'll find hope in the fact that in between Christ coming for you and me and in between that final moment where we see the victory that God has promised us, God is still on the case. It may seem like he's silent, but he is not absent from your story today. He is at work in your world. And what is he doing? He's doing the same thing he was doing on that day. He's working to bring about your very best and to bring about God's glory. And you know, sometimes we get stuck in the middle and we say, there's no way, Louis, there's no way. If I told you my story, you would even admit, there is no way on earth that God is gonna bring good out of this. And there is no way on earth that God is gonna get glory out of what is happening in my life right now. But praise God, we've got Easter. And so we stand in between the brutality and the darkness of the cross and the wonder of the resurrection. And we say, don't count God out until it's over. 
And when it is over, you're going to see God's goodness come through. And when it is over, you're going to see God's glory shine if you will keep your eyes on him and keep your hope in him. The third message of Easter today, and I love this, is that Easter is a billboard for the grace of God. Of course, Friday is all about grace. It's God doing what we could never do, saving us when we couldn't save ourselves. But Sunday is a billboard of the grace of God. We see that in the second gospel account in Mark's gospel, who also gives us a snapshot of Easter morning. And this is what he records in chapter 16, verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, so there's another woman in this story that Matthew didn't include, brought spices that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. So very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. So this is important because these women were meaning well to do something to serve Jesus. They loved him. Maybe the dreams of him being a savior of the world were were fading. Maybe him actually being all-powerful. Maybe that was confusing to them at the moment. But they loved him and they wanted to serve him. They wanted to give him a proper burial. And so early on the morning, they're approaching this gravesite. And as they come, they're asking a question. And here's the question they're asking. So as they they arose, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away? from the entrance of the tomb. So this wasn't like a little tiny boulder that, you know, someone could just sort of easily push aside. The way this stone would have been placed was that it would have been put in a track that was carved in the front of this cave. It would have been rolled down an incline to its resting place. So to move this huge stone, which weighed something like one and a half times as much as your car weighs, you wouldn't just have to move it aside. You'd actually have to move it uphill. And as they came, they thought, we, we want to give Jesus what he deserves, but how are we going to move this stone? And they're like, we don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. We just know we're going to go. And a lot of us have that attitude in our approach to God. I don't know how I'm going to get to God. I don't know how I'm going to be good enough for God. I don't know how I'm going to make it back to heaven, but I'm going to try and I'll figure it out when I get there. But I love the story. Grace appears in between verse three and verse four. It says, but when they looked up, When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb only to find that Jesus wasn't there. This is a picture of grace, if there ever was a picture of grace. They came early in the morning, these ladies, to do something for Jesus. But when they arrived at the gravesite, they understood that Jesus had already done something for them. And this is the nature of the gospel today. Oh, you can clap for that. That's what we're celebrating today. That is the gospel today. So as soon as we come to God with our very best effort to please him and to satisfy him, we discover that he's already done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with him. You see, they thought that day they were executing a man, but it turns out they were just executing God's plan that day. And what was God's plan? God's plan was to roll away your guilt and to roll away your shame through Christ. 
so that you could come out of your grave and come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We see this all the way back in Joshua. I love that on Easter morning, we're going all the way from Jerusalem back to Joshua, coming across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. A few weeks ago, we were studying the fall of Jericho, and as we were, I was digging down into these first chapters of Joshua, and this verse just became electric in my heart. The story of Joshua, just to catch us all up, is that God's people were in bondage in Egypt. They were suffering under the Pharaoh at hard labor. They were living way below what God had called them to be. But he sent a deliverer, Moses, to lead them out of the promised land. And so by the power of God, through the hand of Moses, they were led out of captivity in Egypt towards a land of promise. But they ended up stalling out in 40 years of futility in the wilderness where they misfired on all of God's promises. They, they got it wrong every opportunity that they had. God would say, don't go right. They would go left. God would say, trust me. They would trust everything but God. They ended up not worshiping him as God, but building this golden calf and having a party to themselves and saying, we don't know what God is doing. We don't know how God is working. So we're just going to eat, drink, and be merry and die out here in the wilderness of futility after 40 years. But God raised up another man named Joshua. And Joshua, in his faithfulness, was going to lead the people out of the wilderness into that promised land that God had told their fathers and their fathers before that that they would have. And so Joshua now is ready. The people are ready. The only thing standing between the people and the promise is the Jordan River. And of course, the Jordan River is running at flood stage at this time of year. Can I just put a footnote and say this, that when God wants to do something powerful, something significant to lead you out of the past and into the present, to lead you from futility into his faithful promise for your life, it's often that the river is going to be at flood stage when he gets ready to do it. It's often that we come up to our greatest obstacle, but before God does his greatest work on our behalf. And so if you see the river running, you know, at eyeball height, and you think there's no way we're ever getting over into what God has promised us, I want you to hold on because it's at that point that God is ready to do the miraculous. He puts us in a position where we have no other choice but to trust him, to wait for him, and to watch as God does in grace what we could never do in our own strength. And that's what he was doing that day. That's what he was doing in this moment. And so they come to the river. Joshua waits for instructions. And God says, here's how it's going to work. Uh, you're going to have the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant to the water. When they put their toe in the water, something powerful is going to happen. So they did. They walked up. They stepped into the water, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. They just stepped in. I'm sure it wasn't a, a big, giant you know, leap in. It was probably a little, I'm just going to sort of test things out here. And the scripture says, when the very toes of their feet went into the Jordan River, the waters rolled back all the way to the town of Adam, which was upstream. And they dammed up there by the power of God, the rest of the water flowed to the Dead Sea, and all of Israel crossed over into the promised land. God said, I want the ark to stay in the middle of the river until everyone is crossed over. When you're through crossing over, select a man from each of the 12 tribes. Take a big rock out of the middle of the riverbed and build a memorial to me as you come to the other side. And they came to a place there called Gilgal. 
Gilgal is an amazing place for us on Easter. You're like, man, I don't even know where Gilgal is, Louis. Well, you can Google that later, but why would that be important to us on Easter? I'll tell you why. As I was reading down through Joshua 5, this is what it says. The people have crossed over. They're in the promised land. They built a memorial to the faithful act and the grace of God, doing what they couldn't do. Uh, The next little piece, small uh, extra footnote here, they circumcised all the males who had not been circumcised in the 40 years of the desert. You're like, whoo, glad you threw that in there. That'll give us something good to talk about on the Easter egg hunt later today. But the reason that's important is because it it allowed the people to catch back up to the covenant agreement with God. Because for 40 years in the wilderness, they'd forgotten that act of faithfulness to God. It was a picture of them being set apart to God. And maybe today, that's the simple message for one person in this room. Maybe today on Easter is the day for you to reconnect with the promise and purpose of God for your life. You've known it in the past, but you've walked away from it in the present. And today is the day for you to say, God, I'm going to come back together with your purpose and your will for my life. So all the males circumcised a memorial built to God. Everybody's crossed over a flooding river by the grace of God. And now they end up at a place called Gilgal. Here's why that matters. It comes from a Hebrew word, a root word called galal. And galal means to roll away. And so we see in Joshua 5, down in verse 9, it says, And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today... I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So what is reproach all about? What does that mean? Today, the Lord has rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Well, reproach simply means disappointment or shame. And so the disappointment and shame that was on these people was, A, we were in bondage and captivity in Egypt. There was shame on their lives because they'd spent so much of their lives in bondage to Egypt, just like for us. We are born into a broken, sinful world, and the result of that is we're disappointed in ourselves all the time. But we try to shift blame because you know what? It's not my deal. I was just born into this family. It's my genetics. It was my circumstances. It's my situation. You know, we're all in the same boat here on planet Earth. And we are. And there is disappointment on our lives because of our brokenness and our captivity. But they also had disappointment and reproach on their lives because of the choices that they made for 40 years in the wilderness. And we have that same disappointment today. God is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying it's not just your circumstances of growing up on a broken planet that is your problem. It's the fact that you disobeyed me and you did it time and time again. You chose your way and not my way. You you thought you were smarter and wiser than I was in the plans and purposes for your lives. And that's what's gotten you into the predicament you're in today. But I want you to know I am going to roll away the shame and the reproach and the guilt from your life. I started it back in Joshua. I've been working that plan all the way to Jesus. And at the cross, Jesus Christ did the final work. He gave a perfect life for a guilty life so that I, a holy God, could roll away your guilt and roll away your shame once and for all. 
Isn't it amazing that all the way back at the Jordan River, God was rolling things away, and then it led him all the way out to the empty tomb where he rolled that stone away, not to let Jesus out, of course, but to let us in to see what God has done and then to call us out of our own grave so that we could approach the throne of God and approach heaven today in Christ forgiven and free. You know, the prophet Ezekiel said it this way. He was, he was foretelling what was going to happen when Jesus came and when the Spirit of God came to meet our lives. And he said, in that day, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. In other words, in that day, I'm going to bring you to life again, not physical life again, but spiritual life and put a beating heart of God in your chest through the work of Jesus Christ. The way Paul says it in Romans 8 is this. He says, therefore, talking about those who have joined up with the work of Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin in death. What does that mean? It means that we're no longer trying to push a rock all by ourselves. So if you walked in today with heaviness or a weight on your life, the heaviness of failure, the heaviness of guilt, the, the weight of shame, the weight of knowing that you fell short, that you fell short of what you wanted in life, you fell short of what someone else wanted in life for you, you fell short of a holy, perfect God. If you came in today feeling any sense of weight and thinking somehow I've got to hulk up and bulk up and I've got to move this big weight of shame, I've got to move this big weight of guilt, I've got to move this big stain off of my life, that can't happen in our own power. So what the law, being good, can't do what death brings to us because of the law can't do, God said, I can do through Christ. I can set you free from the law of sin and set you free from death. It's because Easter is a billboard of the grace of God. He goes on to say, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, we couldn't keep 10 commandments, much less 11. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. He condemns sin in the person and the body of Jesus Christ in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us or for us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit in another place, the scripture says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you know today, not only is God not saying to you, you've got to bear the reproach of disappointment all the days of your life. He's saying something completely different. I don't know about you when you grew up, but the worst thing my dad could say to me growing up wasn't go to your room. Now, some of you don't even know what that means, but <laughs> some of you do. So we're like, oh, I'll go to my room. I'm going to get online with my buddy in Tokyo, and I'll be gaming it up in here. I don't know what y'all are going to be doing out in the den. The worst thing my dad could say to me wasn't you're grounded. We had a jalopy for a car anyway. 
It's like, oh, you can't take that beat up old car around this weekend. Oh, okay. I'll catch a ride with a friend. It wasn't that you can't go to this or you can't do that. The worst thing my dad could say to me, do you know what I'm talking about? He'd look at me and he'd say, son, I'm really disappointed in you. The way you talk to your mother, that really, really disappointed me. I'm not going to, I don't know if I can say this, I'm not going to whip you this time. No, please don't call authorities on me. My, my dad's dead in, in heaven. I'm just telling you, I'm really disappointed. And you, you stole that money. You told me that you didn't. You lied to me. I'm really disappointed in you. And he just walk out. You just sit under the weight of those words. And what God is saying today is, there is absolutely disappointment in the fact that in our own strength, not one of us can be good enough for a holy God. And you feel it, and I feel it. Even though the culture around us says, it's okay, just blow that off, don't worry. It's a product of your circumstances. It's not your fault, but yet it doesn't take the stain away. And God is saying today, not only do you not have to carry that disappointment and reproach, but the opposite is true today. Because of Christ and the fact that the stone is moved away, you can approach a holy God. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your past, however huge your mountain of failure Christ, who knew no sin, became sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And when he died and when he was buried and when he was raised, he rolled away the stone of your shame and he rolled away the stone of your sin and he rolled away the weight of your guilt and he said, you can come by faith and be a brand new forgiven person in Christ. Easter, it is a billboard for the grace of God.